Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creator behind the credit card rewards app, Card Pointers, Emmanuel Crevisier. Emmanuel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Charlie. I uh, really uh, appreciate being invited and excited to be on here. Yeah, you're you're one of those people that's been on my list for a while. And uh, I'll just be honest up front. The reason why I haven't reached out is because I still haven't used uh, your apps. I shouldn't say just app, but it's kind of a suite of apps at this point. Because I'm a very much a credit card like novice slash scared person. Uh, so... <laughs> I keep thinking, oh, I need to like, I need to try and get into that or whatever. Um, and it just kind of popped up on Twitter. And I've heard so many people say so many good things about uh, your apps that this is kind of the thing coming in. So I'm, I'm actually partially, I'm interested in your story, but I'm also kind of just curious about the space and uh, playing the sort of credit card rewards game a little bit. Um, so I, I have a lot to learn in this in this space. Um, but apologies if I say something more ignorant than I even normally say, uh, because I'm less familiar with this space than even most things I talk about. <laughs> oh, no worries at all. And yeah, I love helping people get into this hobby. Um, I do kind of consider it a hobby. It's a nice little, uh, you know, side thing and a benefits, um, to kind of just making life a bit easier uh, with credit card rewards and for travel and kind of opening people's minds. There's whole kind of world that it opens up um, being able to use credit cards correctly. Uh, and it's something that isn't really taught anywhere else. So it's the kind of thing you either dig in really deep um, and do like a deep dive into blogs and go uh, you know down that rabbit hole. Uh, or you can use something like card pointers, um, which basically just makes it easy um, and kind of helps you uh, beat the banks as it were. So <laughs> I like that. So Getting into you and your story then, I ask everybody the same three questions to start things off. And so I want to do that here. So where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you're doing now? And then we can kind of talk about your career that led up to Card Pointers. Sure. So uh, despite the name, uh, I was actually born in Cleveland uh, to a French family uh, who had immigrated over to the U.S. Um, and uh, in the early 70s uh, for my dad to, to continue his studies over here. Um, so I actually have both uh, citizenships. Oh, nice. So French and American. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Cleveland, uh, went to school in Chicago, um, and after that, uh, I bounced over to Europe, and I lived in Europe for about five years, and um, since then, uh, moved kind of all over the place and eventually wound up in Miami, uh, which is where I am now. Oh, cool. Okay. That makes sense. I'm, you, uh, people can't see you, but the visual I have behind you uh, does look very, I don't know why it looks like beachy sort of, I guess it's the, the white walls <laughs> and everything. Uh, it looks very sunny. Maybe that's what it is. I'm, I'm looking out at snow over here right now. So maybe that's why my mind's gravitating towards the sun part. <laughs> yeah. All white, just a lot more sun, a lot more warmth here. And uh, yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, Miami uh, white all over the place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so how did you, uh, where, how did you end up in software development? Did you have a, a go to college for that specifically or something like that? Yeah, so I went to school in Chicago. It was a computer science degree. Um, when I went to college, I didn't somehow actually know that there was like a computer science degree or I thought that was more like an engineering side, mathematical side, <clears throat> which is something that I liked. But um, at the time, I kind of thought I was going to pursue economics. Uh, that's what my father had done and just kind of used that as a template. Um, kind of always been into computers since I was like five. My dad had a home office and I was playing around like the really old IBMs, the very first Macintosh kit that came out. Um, that was just kind of a thing that I was drawn to right away. Um, but uh, when it came time to college, yeah, I went to uh, Northwestern to study economics. I took my first econ class and I hated it. Um, I had also signed up for a computer class and I was like, oh, programming, like I do that for fun. So uh, let's do that. And then I realized I could actually switch degrees entirely and um, went down that path. Um, but honestly, it's it's a weird thing because other than uh, the database class that I took there, I didn't really apply anything that I learned in college <laughs> um, to like my actual career and everything later on. Um, and so it was, uh, it was good to do. Um, it was one of those things like that um, I had to kind of check off my list before I pursued uh, the other things I wanted to do in life. Um, so it was good to get that degree. And that was kind of a, a fallback plan, as it were, uh, because I was actually looking to pursue a racing career. 
So oh, okay. all throughout, yeah, I know it's a, it's a little unusual path um, for a, for a developer, um, but uh, yeah, all in college and even in high school, I was really into cars. Uh, my dad used to race rallies in France before moving to the U.S. Oh wow! And I kind of had that in my blood. Um, and this is like rally racing. Um, he did rallies. Um, I was actually drawn to, to circuit racing, so driving okay. on track. Um, and the goal at that time was Formula One. So I was racing single seaters um, and anything I get my hands on in college. And um, as soon as I finished, how do you get your hands on a car? Is that is that just like find some junker and fix it up to make it? pass whatever regulations you have to pass to get into a race like what does that look like there well that that is a path now actually that didn't really exist back then there's a lemons racing which is literally like a junker there'll be a limit of like a thousand dollars i love that name you put safety stuff on there um once you have like a, a cage and everything and the car is relatively safe to race you could race that um uh, CEO of uh, Revenue Cat, Jacob Eiding, he does that. Um, oh, wow. With, uh, okay. I think it's a Ford Tempo that he did with his father, and he races that thing for 24 hours. So, um, yeah, that, that is possible. Uh, what I did um, was uh, I had a Dodge Neon that I kind of tricked out a bit, um, put like a partial cage in it, and so I would do some track days with that. And then there were also arrive and drive programs. So, um, they're actually uh, championships that um, you can basically pay to have a seat for you and they take care of the car. You arrive there and then you can race the weekends and those practice qualifying everything. And they take care of all of the uh, the aspects of the actual mechanicals and everything for the car, the parts and everything else. Wow. Okay. That's really fascinating. Uh, and I'm going to do my best not to spend all my time diving into that. So, uh, <laughs> so you were doing that in, in college as well. And you were kind of doing the computer science thing or whatever degree you got was sort of a fallback plan in case the, the racing career didn't take off. Yeah, exactly right. And the, the timing is interesting on it too, because I graduated college in 2001. So it's right after the, um, dot com. the big dot com bust. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so that also made it kind of an easy excuse for me to not pursue uh, a job in that industry and to continue pursuing the racing career. Right. Software um, development is, that's like a, a fool's errand. Uh, racing is where, <laughs> you know, the stability's at. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the one big problem with racing is that, you know, very, very few people make it. Um, you spend all your money trying to get to the top. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a bit of a fool's errand, but I mean, really happy that I did it. And uh, it was an exciting few years of my life for sure. That's awesome. Okay. So then obviously, well, not obviously, I'm assuming you're not professionally racing now uh, on top of card pointers. So what was, what was sort of the path uh, to then fall back into computer science? Yeah. So um, I am not racing professionally. Um, yeah. I kind of put that behind me in, uh, in 2006, uh, which is when I moved back to the United States. Um, and uh, I moved back about uh, three months before the iPhone was announced. So the, oh, wow. the timing is kind of yeah. there too. Um, and so I kind of did my own thing for like about a year. I was trying to get back into the, uh, just getting back into computers in general. Uh, I was doing website development at the time. Wasn't into app development and everything really. Um, and kind of uh, fast forward a few months after the iPhone announcement, which got me really excited. Um, I ended up getting a job at a magazine company over in Phoenix. So uh, I moved out there and uh, pursued web development. So for the, the next uh, little bit, um, I finally convinced that employer to let me do an iPhone app um, for the magazine as a media kit. So to have something a bit different to take to customers to show you know the media kit for the magazine on their screen and that really wowed people and that helped open up some doors and close some contracts. Uh, so that was a nice little uh, intro into iOS programming and yeah. justifying uh, the, the time spent uh, company dollar, which is always nice. Yeah, it's always good when the company can be can pay you to learn something. Yep, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, after that kind of evolved, um, I worked in the magazine industry for the next few years. Uh, and the real big turning point um, is when the iPad came out and especially uh, when a newsstand came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when I really realized uh, kind of the power of being there on day one, uh, which is something that I've taken forward uh, to, to card pointers. Um, and that's, you know, if you're on, if you're there on a big release day like that, it was iOS 8, I think was newsstand. Um, and being there on day one, uh, I basically built um, these magazine apps for a, a company that I'd acquired the other company. And um, we were in the top 10 for two or three of the publications for the next like eight months. Oh man. And, and Apple was pushing I, that heavily. 
obviously. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, and there were very few magazines there on day one. So it was really exciting to be there. And it was just me working on these. So I had access to all of the financials and everything. And that's what was really eye opening to just how much money could be generated with that, that first intro to subscriptions. Cause those were the first ones that had subs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was just mind, mind boggling. Um, yeah, just how much money was available there and what an impact being in the top 10 and being featured by Apple, uh, was at that point. Interesting. Okay. And so, so you're in Phoenix working for a magazine company, come out with an, or you kind of lead, or I guess solo the iPad development of, of like these new stand apps. Um, where do you go from there? Were after that, were you like, all right, I want to do something independently and kind of try and carve my own little niche here or, or is there a longer journey kind of to get to independence? Yeah. The independence thing, I, I've, I've been trying to do something on my own um, for, I mean, pretty much since the uh, since the SDK came out uh, for for iOS. Um, you know, I was tinkering around back then uh, to learn some things, but I never really had that idea that really uh, took off. Um, and then eventually, I got into uh, travel rewards and credit card points. Um, I was when I was traveling to Europe when I used to race over there. Um, at that time, looking back now, I realize how many points I could have earned now <laughs> that I know what I know about credit cards. Um, but back then, I mean, I would spend money for a flight. Um, I would never book it on points because I could never find good point redemptions. So I thought that they were a total scam, the whole credit card point system, because I just didn't understand it back then. And I would cash out all my points, which would make anyone who's into credit card rewards now absolutely cringe. Um, and... Um, yeah, it wasn't until uh, one of my sister's friends uh, came to visit in Miami, who was really into uh, travel hacking and credit card reward space, who actually helped me fully understand just how powerful they were and recommended a few specific blogs to follow. And that's where I kind of went down that rabbit hole, as, as engineers tend to do, um, <laughs> do a deep dive into things. Um, and then that really opened my eyes. Um, and at the time, I was uh, I was dating a girl who, uh, who lived in Atlanta, and I was in Miami. Um, and so to go travel back and forth, um, I didn't have much money coming in. So I was like, I need to just figure out the travel rewards thing and use that to fly for free and stay in hotels for free. So that's what uh, that was really the, the catalyst to um, kind of lit the, the fire under my butt uh, to make that happen. Um, and then kind of went from there. So when I was getting into that space, there wasn't any kind of app that existed that would help me figure out which card to use and maximize these point bonuses. Um, since you mentioned that you're kind of new to this, um, haven't really dove into this world, uh, where it's really powerful is that specific credit cards have big reward categories. Um, for spend. So if you have the right credit cards, you can earn 4x or 5x points. Right. And each of each of those points, if you use them for like, say, international travel or for traveling in business class, those points can be worth like 8 cents or 10 cents each. So if you're talking about four points per dollar um, at like a grocery store and each cent, each point is worth 10 cents, that's basically a 40% savings on what you're buying if you were to pay for those tickets. Right. So that's where it's super powerful. Um, and so you can get these fantastic redemptions where you just pay like a few bucks in taxes and the rest you use on points and then you can travel um, pretty much anywhere. Um, and so, like I said, I kind of dove deep into that, um, signed up for some credit cards, which is a great way to get uh, big signup bonuses and lots of points. Um, and then before I knew it, I kind of had earned a few hundred thousand points um, just from the right credit cards and, and the right spend. And um, then I started using those points to, to kind of travel and really get into it. And so at that point, how are you tracking all of this? Because to me, the big thing is even just having more than one credit card is like this sort of anxiety thing to me, uh, both on the I want to make sure I'm like making all of my payments every month and also tracking what the actual rewards I'm getting from everything. So at this point, obviously, you didn't have card pointers. So what were you using to to sort of manage all of this or was it all just in your head? Uh, no, I mean, I, I use a spreadsheet, but it's not a great solution because uh, things would change all the time. I had to do a lot of research and it worked okay. Um, but then I got into the problem of convincing my parents to get into this space too. <laughs> and they didn't want to be bothered with keeping track of everything. 
So of course that falls on the son who's the engineer. Um, and uh, so then I start tracking everything for my parents, helping them open the right credit cards, doing the same for my sister. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm managing four different people across this crazy spreadsheet and they're calling me all the time, asking me which cards to use at a gas station, which cards to use at a supermarket because they like the free travel aspect of it, but they don't want to deal with any of the, uh, the, the real work involved. Exactly. So that, that, that's, that was kind of why um, I was like, okay, Let's, we've got this great device in our pockets. Um, you know, let's build an app that actually can do this. Um, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Jonathan Chum, who was in this space. Uh, he was into to travel rewards as well. Um, and he also had helped kind of guide me uh, to, to understand uh, the power of uh, that space. And because uh, he's also an engineer, we decided to team up and we kind of built um, a first uh, relatively simple version, um, which... None of the code base is the same for iOS, but some of the backend is actually still the same from what we built back then, and that's in uh, 2015. Um, okay. But uh, that app was overly complicated, and that's where I kind of learned one of the things that I took forward, which is something simple, um, just doing like one thing really well is really powerful. You don't have to solve everyone's problems, just solve like a core group of people or solve you know some core problems. Um, do that really well, and then you can build stuff on top of it. Um, and that's helped a lot. So that first app, um, it ended up just didn't really get much traction. We got a bit of press, but, um, we ended up shutting that down. Um, and then about a year later, Facebook came out uh, with their, their bots. And so, um, I was like, oh, maybe that's, maybe that'll be, you know, something that'll catch on. So they're bots. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Oh yeah. The Facebook messenger bots. Oh, messenger bots. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I just, it's like in a day or two, I'd kind of hacked a, together like a, a bot that would respond using the API that we had built for the uh, for the first iOS app. But then those uh, the messenger bots never went anywhere. So I kind of canned that idea again for a few years and uh, was doing some contract work on the side, still trying to find that kind of like right idea. And uh, this just kept nagging at me. I was still having the same problem with my parents of trying to solve that problem and for myself. And um, it got to the point where early 2019, um, I just decided um, I was going to do an experiment with a web app. So use some of the backend I had built before, uh, build um, a progressive web app. So that way it could kind of, you know, be used on mobile, but not go down that deep end of iOS development, which is what I love doing. But then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do the necessary things like market the app and actually right. build like a, a business out of it. So I wanted to kind of test the model out with the, with the progressive web app. So I put together, um, like in a few weeks, I put together like a basic version of it, um, which was using a lot of the backend and, and the card data I had compiled from, you know, for a few years prior and, uh, launched that on Reddit in uh, February 2019 and, uh, had a really good response. Um, I don't know. I thought that people wouldn't really use it, right? I, I think a lot of people go into building an app where they think either it's going to be like the biggest hit in the world or no one's going to use it. And <laughs> because all my other stuff had just kind of flopped, I thought for sure it would be the latter. And, um, but people were actually like really engaged, really responsive. Um, and they offered like some good advice, uh, quickly realized how many cards I was missing. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, that's kind of where I was for a few months. I had internally set a goal of uh, hitting, I think it was a thousand users before I would let myself do the iOS app so that okay. I wouldn't get distracted by the rest. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my, my thought, like with the initial version that you made with your friend was, it sounds like it, this wasn't a, you know, I have this spreadsheet for managing stuff with my family. Let me make an app version for me. And then we'll put it on the app store and see if it goes somewhere. It sounds like it was like, we want to try and make a business out of it then. Yeah. And then definitely it was with this release. Yeah, absolutely. So the first time around, that's where it was overly complex. So we'd actually built like a, a web scraping engine that would go to the bank websites. We would get people's bank uh, credentials, which scares me now that I say that out loud yeah, because yeah. it's <laughs> such a big attack vector and a risk for people. And nowadays, like I make sure I steer very clear from that. But back then that was, you know, that was our vision for how it should work. Um, and, um, yeah, built like this kind of like crazy backend to support this over like a period of a few months and then built, uh, you know, the app as a front end to that. Um, and we're just way over ambitious. Uh, and that's where things just kind of fell apart because nothing was really great. Everything was kind of there, but 
Um, it wasn't a great experience. It didn't really get product market fit at all. Um, and so that's why that just didn't work out. And what kind of marketing did you do then versus the second time? It sounds like the second time you pretty much, you started by sort of dropping it on Reddit. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. The first time, uh, we tried to just get PR. We didn't really understand marketing. Um, neither of us really liked to do that. Again, the classic engineer problem. Yeah. Uh, we love building stuff. Um, I mean, I still fall uh, victim to that now. Um, it's much more fun to build things than, than to market things. It's just not the space that most of us are in. Um, but, um, yeah, so that was, it was, it was good to force myself with that limit, you know, to have a user base to kind of prove things out before I let myself really have fun and build, uh, build the native apps. That makes sense. Okay. So, so with the Reddit one, then you were sort of dropping it there in part, I'm assuming it was like a gathering information from users, try and get up a, at least a, a core group that you could learn from. Um, did you expand out from there in terms of marketing or was it kind of let the organic growth drive things in the early stages it was more just kind of understanding if people would want to use it what other kinds of things i needed to add to it uh one thing i left out sorry is that um when i came up with this idea it actually i wasn't going to go build kind of the same app as what i had built before the original idea was just um, to have a way to print stickers to put on people's cards so they know which ones to use because that's what I ended up doing oh. for my parents. Yeah, um, I had mentioned that they were calling me all the time to ask me which cards to use and like I just, I, I mean, I couldn't do that all day. So that was uh, what I was doing temporarily is with the label maker. I just printed out, you know, at restaurants Yeah. up until like March 31st, you know, use this card and just kind of put the bonuses right on there. And so I thought, oh, okay, I'll just sell stickers to people and that could be a business. I didn't really think about monetizing like the app and stuff. For me, like apps were free, subscriptions hadn't really gained popularity then. Um, and so I thought I'd sell stickers and that would be the business. That was the, that was the first run at it or that was the second run at it? Yeah. So when I was thinking about the idea for, for card pointers, for what I could do as a business, um, it was going to be based on the stickers on top of the cards and mm -hmm. selling those through some kind of, you know, through the app or through some, maybe just on the web or something like that. And as I started kind of building out the first part of that, because the first step is to know what cards people are using. Um, I realized how much of that I could actually then tie into what I had built before with the database of cards and their various features and everything. And even before I release it to anybody, I, I dropped the whole sticker idea. I was like, this is not going to work. It's not going to be a good way to monetize things. I think I can offer more utility and just letting people know which cards to use through an app. And apps, you know, apps and, and iPhones and mobile devices are ubiquitous enough that um, it shouldn't be a big barrier to people at this point. So they can probably just get the information on their phone, uh, which is what led to the first uh, PWA that I built. Okay. So that first PWA app then, what was the main pitch? Was it you can put your cards in here or the cards that you use in here and it, the service itself knows what those cards are and can then tell you like based on the cards you have this is what you should be using on gas during these ranges and this is what you should be using on food yeah yeah exactly right um yeah it was super simple uh, in the beginning it was just focused on those category awards so you just put in the names of the credit cards you have say you have a chase freedom card and a sapphire preferred uh the the pwa and even the first version of the ios app would just quickly spit out uh, two different views one is for each of the different categories. At the time, it was like 12 different categories. Here's the card that you should use. Um, and here are all of your cards ranked in, in earnings. And then uh, in the other tab or the other uh, column in the PWA, you could tap on a card and see all of the information in one spot. So you'd have all the perks of your cards, all, all the text they would normally see um, for your features of a card, as well as the category bonuses. So you have a, a nice little cheat sheet for all of the cards in your wallet right in one spot. Okay. And you said you, the original business model idea was it would be free and then you'd have these stickers, but then eventually you drop the stickers. So in this initial PWA app version, what was your business model or idea for a business model if you hadn't already implemented it? Uh, yeah. So most people in the credit card space, um, they, they tend to, the business model tends to be based on credit card affiliates, which is big business. So, um, the person who really kind of blew that up is the points guy. 
um, which is a really popular blog. Most people probably know about it. Um, and he made a ton of money through these credit card commissions and really helped establish that industry on the internet. And so that's what um, a lot of blogs and apps are doing. This is this is like he had a blog explaining how you could take advantage of all these cards. And part of his blog would also be sort of pushing or being sponsored by specific cards. And if you go through that link, similar to an Amazon affiliate link or something, he gets like a cut. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And the credit cards, the banks, you know, the customers are worth a lot to a bank. Um, so in some cases, uh, I mean, there's a card right now that people are estimating the cost of, acqu- of user acquisition is about $2,000 a user, which is Goodness. insane. Um, but so the commissions, you know, they can be a few hundred dollars on a credit card sign up. So uh, it really depends on the cards and, and what kinds of things they're pushing at a time. But that's why a lot of companies base their business around that. Um, so that was the original thinking going in. If I get enough users who like the app and I can make smart recommendations for what credit cards, then uh, I can monetize it that way. Um, but uh, there are a few problems with that. One, getting actually in touch with these companies that will give you an affiliate link. Nobody wants to talk to an indie who has, you know, even a thousand users is nothing. Yeah. So um, I, I tried desperately for months trying to get a hold of anyone, and there aren't that many players in the game. Um, I ended up taking to LinkedIn, and I messaged every single person individually at the companies. I feel bad because I, I hate spam, and that was, you know, definitely a sort of spam. But eventually, I reached a person who cared, and it put me in touch with the right person, and I managed to get to my first affiliate program that way. Oh, nice. Okay. So you did at some point then have, um, I guess, were, were they like native ads sort of in the app then? No, I, I've never been a, I, they're, they're not ads. So instead they're actually, they're, they're recommendations for cards. So based on, um, based on the cards that you have, if you don't have like, for example, I, you know, I have a database for what the very best card is based on rewards for all these different categories. So if you don't have the absolute best card for dining, then I'll show you what the best card is that you could get for dining that could mm-hmm. earn you 4x or 5x points. Um, so it's a really natural fit. Um, and uh, so I put that up there. But the problem that I ran into is that most people who are using these kinds of apps and I guess most people in general, they're not signing up for credit cards every day, right? Right, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a nice payout, but, um, you know, you need a ton more volume to make that work. And then you also run into the situation where you're kind of, you're not pushing them because, you know, I never want it to be like a hard sell. I want the person to know what's generally you know, best for them. But it could still have the uh, the un, uh, undesired side effect of, of pushing someone to get a credit card that they may not be ready for, that may have a high annual high annual fee or um, you know high spending requirements, and it might put them in a bad spot. And so I never love that business model. And the other problem with it is that you're at the behest of banks, um, which is a bad place to be because compliance and everything else makes mm. things really difficult, especially as an indie. Um, you know, you look at like companies have SOC 2 compliance and go to enterprise sales, you know, that's a whole nother beast. Um, and that's not something that I find, uh, yeah, super, uh, super interesting on my end. That makes sense. Okay. So how did you pivot out of that? Cause that's not what your, your model is now. Right. And at this point you just had a PWA. So I'm curious what the like transition to, well, I'll just say it to a subscription model, um, how you got there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the path to iOS. Um, so that, that was the business model for a bit. Um, WWDC came out, um, came around about four months after, um, I had released that first uh, progressive web app and I was at 997 users or something just shy of my thousand goal. When at, at DubDub, they announced uh, Swift UI. And ah. that seemed like the perfect fit for me. It was going to, you know, speed up development time so I can kind of continue kind of testing the theory, see how it works on a mobile app. And they had also announced, um, I think that was when they had announced the App Store for watchOS. And uh, I had built a watch app before with uh, the previous version of the uh, of the product. And I really liked um, actually having, you know, th- that kind of app on the watch makes a lot of sense because you just want something quick, you know, flip your wrist up and see. Yeah, it's actually one of the, the rare examples I can think of of why I would want an app on my phone. 
Thanks. Because um, yeah. <laughs> that's exact or on my watch, because that's exactly like you want that sort of quick. I just need a small amount of information quickly um, use case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I kind of went all in with Swift UI then for the next few months. Uh, cried a lot during that process because it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, eventually had a, had a shipping product, um, and much to my amazement, um, I got featured by Apple, um, largely for the Watch app, I think, uh, because it was one of the first independent apps uh, on the App Store, and um, had a really big feature, and my user count just started blowing up. Um, the first like week was just chaos because people, you know, I had a good database of a few thousand credit cards, but when you suddenly open the app up to millions of people in the country, <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't have their cards. So I was spending, I don't know, maybe like eight, 10 hours a day adding people's credit cards and all the details about their cards and wow. making sure that they had a good experience. Okay. That's wild. Okay. So at this point it was, it was still a free app with the affiliate uh, program in there. So mm-hmm. You have a free app being heavily pushed by Apple on a new platform where there's not a whole lot of competition right at the very beginning. So, yeah, I can see how uh, (laughs) going from your user acquisition channel was you manually doing it through like Reddit to Apple pushing it would be a pretty significant change in uh, in users. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't be happier whenever we build something, you know, the, you know, we want users, right? I mean, I think it's one of the most exciting things for, for most developers is having people actually use the stuff that we build. Um, so seeing like that counter, like refresh, like every second when I would check. Um, yeah, I mean, I was giddy. I was so, so happy. Um, uh, but then, yeah, just a then ton of work. work comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, it's an interesting balance. Awesome. So uh, I guess the advantage then is I'm sure things slow down eventually to some degree, but like, Part of going through that um, gauntlet was you now have probably a gigantic, very usable database that's sort of building a little bit of a moat around you um, in terms of that space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's as I continue building more and more on top of uh, on top of the app and, and the company now. Um, yeah, I really have come to realize that I, I've you know I've been worried from the beginning that there'd be some big competitor who would come in and crush me. Um, the, the biggest concern, uh, was the points guy whom I mentioned before, because they had an app at one point a few years ago, but they threw an acquisition, um, and they ended up shutting both of those apps down. So nothing existed, uh, in that space when I came out with that progressive web app. Um, and so that was also, you know, a big, literally there was no solution except for like my spreadsheet and my stickers. Uh, so you know, I wanted a solution for that again, but I knew they were going to come back into the space. And so I was really worried that they were going to crush me. Because they have um, but, money and a giant user acquisition channel, which is the most famous person in the space already. Um, yep. Yeah, I can see that being pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, fortunately, they, they ended up coming out finally uh, last year, um, and the app has just been a, a bit of a mess. So big relief there. And at the end of the day, it's kind of what I hear over and over on, on Twitter and in other places where... Um, you know, a company that isn't an engineering company, they're not going to be able to do like an app and stuff well because it's just not kind of in their DNA. And so, you know, I think with enough resources, you know, they could probably find those people. But for whatever reason, they just seem to not be able to do it. So they don't really understand what users want. Um, and, you know, really making an app that's useful for people instead of just a, you know, like a, a marketing, uh, marketing branch for them. Right. To build their existing giant business of, the blog and I guess influencer or whatever, <laughs> whatever that space looks like. Um, yeah, it's a totally different business. That makes sense. So, so at the stage where we last left off, you're still, so you have an iOS app now and your PWA, but both are still, the model itself is still based on these affiliate links. So like where, how did you go from there to the subscription, uh, sort of pivot, I guess. Yeah. So the subscription thing, um, I honestly didn't think that that was going to be successful. It was kind of, it was about a year later, um, in November of 2020, um, where, you know, the app was doing okay, but, uh, the pandemic hit. So 2020, all the credit card commissions, those basically went to zero. No one was signing up for cards to, to travel yeah, because travel no one was, was traveling. No yeah. Yeah, totally. So during that year, I started kind of pivoting away from just travel rewards to helping people save money. 
which I thought would be more valuable for the uh, the immediate future. And that's where I started looking at uh, integrating Amex offers and Chase offers and big things to help people save money with their credit card instead of just earning rewards. Um, and so that kind of lent itself naturally to, to look for a different monetization strategy. And um, I think it was probably through Trader where I started hearing about revenue cap. Mm. And that's, um, I was like, okay, this looks interesting. And um, there was a... Um, I was working a little bit, uh, helping out with uh, this app called AC Helper uh, with uh, Eric Lewis and uh, Damien uh, were the, the two primary developers of that. And they had implemented Revenue Cat in like a day and it was all open source on GitHub. So I looked to see how they had implemented things on there and I saw how easy it was. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just add, you know, like maybe like a tip jar or maybe I like an app subscription and see if, you know, that could work as a business model. And as I kind of started going down that path, um, I landed, I think it was on Curtis Herbert's uh, blog, and he was talking about subscriptions and already kind of seeing the benefits of recurring revenue and, and what that looks like. And I was thinking I'm doing a lot of upkeep anyhow for the offers and for the cards where I think subscription is, is reasonable and people will understand why there's a subscription fee involved. Um, and uh, went ahead and just implemented that in I think it was like a day or two with Revenue Cat. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, deployed that and didn't really expect much. I mean, like my goal was, you know, if I can make like a few hundred dollars a month or something, you know, it'd be a good start and, you know, kind of see from there and try to, you know, grow more users and, and everything. The, was this just on the iOS app? Yeah, I only had the uh, the iOS app. Yeah, and the watch has still never had internet purchases. Right. So it was iPhone. At that point, I had the iPad app as well. Okay. So what, what was behind the subscription then? Um, because... Like the PWA obviously wouldn't have this. And then the watch app, like you just said, wouldn't have this. So there's got to be some element of free and extra, I guess. Yeah. So, um, you know, in, in the year and a half since I launched in, in 2019, I had added uh, you know, a good number of features. Uh, one thing I wanted to do was to make sure I didn't take away those features for right. the people who had been using the app. Um, even to this day, all of the original features up until that November date, um, I've never gated behind a pro paywall. So everyone has access to those, even new users. Um, and for that first pass, I honestly didn't know exactly what I was going to gate. So I didn't want to take things away from people. So I'm like, okay, I have to add some interesting stuff. So the, the first version was customizing dashboards. Um, I think I added offers inside of pointers was gated, but honestly, there wasn't much of a compelling reason to, to give me money, except if you liked the app for the last year and a half and you wanted to support me. Right. So that's, that's kind of how it started. Interesting. Okay. And, and at this stage, the PWA app didn't have this at all then? So those features were exclusive to iOS and I like or iPhone and iPad. Yeah, exactly. The progressive web app, um, I didn't really. I did like a few little fixes and stuff here and there, but um, for the most part, I haven't really touched it since like early 2019. Uh, at this point, I'm kind of deprecating it now that uh, I have uh, the Android app out as well. But at the time, it it was good for Android users, so I had something to point them to. Yeah, and that's why it's labeled because it's labeled on your website legacy now. Yeah, exactly. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. So at first you, so you basically, this is an experiment. You quickly got the actual subscription code and infrastructure set up. And then you kind of threw together some extra features behind it so that there was at least something that you would unlock. But mostly this is an experiment at first. How did that experiment go? Yeah. So um, day one, uh, I released it. And I think with about an hour or something, I had my first trial. Um, which blew my mind. I, I, you know, I put it out to people, but still it's just, it was such a, just a shift in dynamic to actually have a user like pay me directly, yeah. more or less directly, um, for something that I worked on. It was just such a surreal feeling. Um, and I got, uh, I think of just a few more that day. And uh, I got a few more like over the, the next few weeks and it died down a bit. And I was like, okay, I actually have to make something worthwhile now with the subscription, um, and get people like, you know, good features, but, uh, it, changes the dynamic. And I know people have talked about this where, um, you know, developers like subscriptions because it incentivizes them to, to work more on, uh, on the app. And that absolutely applies uh, to me. Like when, if I'm in the middle of like some crazy, like deep coding session, like hours in, and I get some alerts from uh, the RCCAD app, you know, showing, you know, that it's made like whatever, a few hundred dollars, like in the last few hours, like I find that so incredibly motivating. I'm like, okay, I can keep hacking through this. Like it's worth it. People like it and they want this. So I'll uh, keep working hard on it. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
that makes a lot of sense though. And yeah, that, that's always the thing, right? Is I understand obviously why it's frustrating from a user perspective. If it's not something that you care about or you're getting lasting value out of, you just want this little bite sized thing. Um, but as a developer wanting to make something long term and keep growing it, that marriage of, uh, being rewarded for continuing to work on it, like kind of building on each other, um, is really satisfying. But yeah, I didn't think about like getting those notifications as being like, this is who I'm working for, you know, as you're, as you're going, <laughs> uh, that's kind of cool. So how has, how has that growth been then? Have you, you've basically been building out a whole bunch of pro features then behind that, um, behind that subscription? Yeah, exactly. Um, most of the new features I add are, are going to be for the, for pro users. Um, and that kind of comes down to, you know, the basics of, of credit card rewards and optimizing them. I kind of covered them in that first year and a half before I added the monetization. So now the pro features, um, are really targeted for people who want to get, you know, even more out of their cards. Um, it's been important to me from the beginning to, you know, continue to have that free tier because I, A, I love having people use the app. Um, you know, that's just feels great, uh, to see that kind of growth and hear people talk about it. Um, I think that's really good then for word of mouth referrals for people, you know, letting other folks know about it who might, you know, upgrade to the pro tier. Um, but in more generally, it's just the more people who are better using credit cards, um, a, the more money they're saving and I love saving money. So, um, that's great. And it also allows them to travel for free and kind of expand their minds in some ways and see other cultures. And that's been a big proponent of, uh, of the company since the beginning. Um, it's something that's, uh, I can't remember what the percentage is now, it's something like about half half of all Americans have passports, which is like a mind boggling stat. We were just looking, me and my wife were literally just talking about this last night, uh, weirdly. And yeah, yeah, it was, I think it was like 40, what was it? It was like 40% of people have traveled out of the country or something like that in America. Yeah, it's, and I learned so much having spent, you know, those five years in Europe and I spent a lot of time in, in France growing up because all my family was based there. Um, but even like in college, you know, learning from people from different cultures, it really changes like your perspective on life and it opens you up to new things. Um, you know, and it's something I think, you know, every one of us can, can benefit from. So, you know, in a small, you know, in a tiny way, the app helps with that, with the free tier. So uh, I'm really happy and proud of that specifically. That's cool. Okay, so you mentioned the uh, that there's an Android version now. There's also like a Chrome extension and a Safari extension. So like, which one of those came first, and how have you been sort of intentionally expanding out the number of uh, different platforms that you're on? Yeah, so absolutely, it's intentional. Um, the one thing, um, like I said, the, the PWA was was a great solution for Android users to have those basic features, but they started clamoring for the offers and some of the other things that the iOS people ha had. And it did, I didn't want to invest the money in the PWA, sorry, invest the time rather, in the PWA, um, because it's, you know, I wasn't planning to monetize that one. It's harder to monetize on the web and everything. I figured it's like with in-app purchases. Um, and so the order of things was um, basically iOS 15 was announced uh, at WWDC 2021 and they had announced the Safari extensions. So I kind of had a, a first idea for how I could integrate that. And I've always been going back to what I said before about being there on day one is, you know, I, I learned that really important lesson from the magazine apps back in the day. And, you know, it's a strategy that's worked well for the, the last, uh, the last three OS releases is being there on day one with some compelling new features and something new that Apple has built, um, increases your odds of a feature and, you know, just uh, increases exposure. Um, so that's, you know, one of the ways that I market things. Um, and so I had an original idea for the Safari extension, which was just, um, uh, bulk activating Amex offers and Chase offers. Um, it goes back to the, the, for those who don't know what the, what those are, um, it's, uh, those two banks and there are a few other banks that, um, have these really compelling offers, some more than others, but you could save, for example, um, $50 on a $50 plus purchase. That was an offer that went around last year. So it's literally whatever you wanted to buy at Best Buy. If it was $50, it was absolutely free. So it's like, why wouldn't you add that to your credit card and use that? Um, and so these types of offers, like they're, they can be really rewarding, but the banks try to make it difficult to a, even just add them to your cards. Cause you have to go there, you have to click on a button, click on another button, and then it adds it. Then you have to go to the next one, so on and so forth and do that 200 times. 
it's like, okay, I mean, someone can do that, but they're going to waste, you know, like half an hour right. <laughs> just clicking on buttons, um, you know, not much fun. So I was like, oh, an extension would be a good fit for that. So I could just have a little thing that would automatically activate all those offers for people. So why did, is, is the reason for that, obviously you don't work for the bank itself, but it's just one of these things about credit cards that always is weird to me. Is the reason for that because the offers themselves, the value that they're providing uh, the bank is increasing signups because people see that there's all these offers that happen or, and then, but then they don't actually want people using them because obviously then that costs them money. Yeah. And that's, it's a really good question because I would love to know the actual financial arrangement between the companies that, um, uh, that get added to the offers. Um, it's something I haven't broken through yet, but I keep trying to, um, I've gotten really close. I got a phone number of a contact there, but their phone system doesn't work. They can't hear when I talk to them. So it's really curating. <laughs> like I've gone all that way, but I can't cross that last path. But, um, yeah, uh, in general, I mean, for sure the, the bank's, they want to lure people in to sign up for those credit cards, but they don't really want you to maximize the, you know, the points. They don't want you to maximize the offers um, because, you know, that does cost them money. And as much as, you know, there are fairly high fees for using those cards uh, with the interchange fees, you know, two to three percent or so. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the big perks where you're giving $50 for a $50 purchase, you know, that's partially coming out of their pocket, partially out of, uh, you know, the marketing or advertising partner. Um, so yeah, they just don't want people to, to be able to, to do these things easily. Interesting. Okay. So the Safari extension came out of that. So you didn't have anything like that before. It wasn't like you took an existing feature. It was literally like your mind was just trying to think of ideas for this new safari feature and that's what you came up with yeah so i started building that part out and then i realized that's going to be of really limited use to to the average person if i send that to you know app review or the app marketing team first of all they're not going to have like an amex or chase account most likely i'm not giving them access to my account (laughs) to log in to try it i didn't think about that i forget uh safari extensions have to go through app review don't they yeah exactly so yeah, it's a thing of something a bit more compelling. Um, and after I built out that first part, I was like, okay, I can activate all these offers for people. What about if I then sync them to the app so they can keep track of them in the app? That makes sense. So I built that part out of it. And then I was like, well, what would be even cooler is if while I'm shopping, what if it just tells me that I have offers available here? And so that's where it's kind of evolved naturally. And um, I was building that out uh, last summer uh, and I was getting a little worried because I had never done web extension development, didn't know anything about it. You know, my first uh, foray into that was uh, a dub dub video. And so I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is it's all the exact same code basically between Chrome and Safari with a few changes. So I'll go ahead and package up the part that I have now for adding offers and syncing them to the app. I'll package that up into a standalone Chrome extension and publish that and test it out, make sure it actually works and see what people think about it. Similar kind of approach to the PWA, just, you know, get something out there that's free and people can just use. Right. It's a lot lighter to to release a Chrome extension. Yep, exactly. So yeah, put out like that first basic version and uh, people really clicked on that. Uh, and then I built uh, the rest of my vision on the Safari side um, after fixing a few things there because of course there were bugs. Um, but uh, yeah, got that to a good spot for the uh, iOS 15 launch. And that was uh, probably the, the biggest draw, I think, for the update. Um, it was featured as a must-have Safari extension. Uh, it was a great app for iOS 15 and that kind of thing. So those, those really big feature lists uh, and that continues to send a, a healthy amount of users. So I was going to ask, did it did it end up having a decent impact on uh, on user acquisition? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the iOS 15 launch is, is a curious thing. I, I've every single OS update, I've gone uh, the new version exclusive. So um, mm. you know, I dropped support for iOS 14. I still continued. You know, I had the old app, but new users couldn't download it. But people who had it before, it would continue working. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, with the, the way Apple did iOS 15, uh, this year without kind of the, that forced updates or even recommended update, uh, means that the actual, uh, new users like dropped in about half or so. Ah, and interesting. it's kind of been close to that. Like even up until now, it's still, uh, like I'd say about 30, 40% less than it really should be. Um, with, uh, going iOS 15 only. So do you think that's going to, is that going to change how you approach iOS 16 then? Yeah, it has to. If, if they're going to take that same approach, um, I can't do that. Not at this point. Um, I switched to, to working on card pointers, hundred uh, percent full time, um, just, uh, just in January. So now that it's actually like 
what puts food on my table and I like to eat. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't do that. So I, I think I'll have to go iOS 15 and 16. Um, yeah, I think Swift UI is in a much more stable place now. So that'll be easier to do right. with the bugs and stuff on 13 and 14. I, I couldn't do that beforehand. So then how did the Android version come about? Was that, was that before or after the Safari, Safari and Chrome extensions? Yeah, so that's after. Um, yeah, I did the, uh, you know, got through the iOS 15 release in uh, September and October. Um, and then, uh, did a full app rewrite in November, uh, for core data because I was hitting some, uh, some weird data issues, um, with, uh, the offers integration. So now that I had these extensions, people were adding hundreds of offers. Um, right. But the app was kind of exploding <laughs> on the inside. So yeah, I had to, uh, I spent a full month doing uh, core data rewrites, uh, sorry, implementing core data. And then December, um, that was kind of, I kind of gave myself, I, I kept putting off the, the deadline for getting the Android app out. And I told myself, okay, I'm actually going to just sit down and crank this thing out. Um, my deadline's going to be January 1st. I want to get at least a beta version out to folks in January. Wait, how long of a lead time did you give yourself? Was that one month? Yeah, I meant to give myself <laughs> longer, but... <laughs> Listeners couldn't see your face when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man it, okay it was a very it was a very painful end of year um and i was also still I working another yeah and i was working a full-time job at the same time for the company in san francisco so i was working at you know, both these two jobs and yeah i mean i was just dead um <laughs> yeah because yeah. so had you done any android development before no I, I had opened an android device once i had gotten uh one of those free uh what was it the um, it was a I don't even know if it was a Pixel back then. Um, oh, the Nexus, the Nexus 7 or whatever, the very okay. first yeah, yeah. Uh, pad device. Um, I had gone to um, to, go to Google I.O. Um, for a previous employer. They had sent me out there just to learn about things. And um, so I got in that device and powered it up and played around, but it just yeah, it didn't click. And I never touched Android again until December 1st. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Wow. And how, how long did it take for you to actually get it out? Uh, I got it out on the first. Um, That's so unbelievable. I hit my deadline just barely. And I, 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 that I have entirely to thank um, Jetpack Compose and Kotlin, like the, the the similarity between Kotlin and Swift and you know modern JavaScript um, makes it a lot easier to switch between the two um, or between the three rather. Um, and uh, Jetpack Compose, you know, it's so many similar concepts to Swift UI. Right. And at the end, there are kind of there are fewer like weird things that you have to work around in, in Compose. I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, so yeah, the, you know, thank, thank, very thankful for both Compose and Kotlin um, and the whole material design aesthetic, you know, which works well in Android, but not so much in iOS. Um, it helps, you know, eliminate the, the whole design aspect of things, you know, uh, well, not eliminate it, but reduce it greatly. Um, so that helps uh, help me get to something shippable uh, in that month. Interesting. Okay. So then what was the sort of differences this was your first experience in the play store then too i assume right absolutely yeah so how how did the like app submission and release and all the things that kind of go with that how did that compare to all your years of ios experience uh, it was very confusing at first uh the various channels and everything i mean i was googling like over and over again um that part was uh was a bit painful um even like colin and compose and like android dev you google anything and there it's you know it's been around for so long now you almost always get answers dealing with java and like yeah. things that don't relate at all um i didn't write a single line of java it's like me with objective c when i came into the ios world mm, i bet yeah <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, so much anymore, things but... change quickly if, if you're not immersed in that space then you know things move so quickly you can fall way behind and it's 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 hard to get back up to speed but but like the actual play store submission then how was that was it a lot easier harder uh i feel like the general consensus as somebody who hasn't done it just hearing things in the ether is that it's a little less uh what's the word i would use restrictive uh scary than app store review process um it is and it isn't. So the very beginning, um, there aren't really any status updates. Like when I first submitted uh, the app, it just kind of like stuck in limbo and there were no updates or anything. So that part kind of felt like App Store Connect in a way. <laughs> um, for all the subsequent updates, um, they're really fast. Uh, it's within, I don't know, half an hour, an update will be approved. Oh, nice. And it goes through really quickly. Uh, and having like that separate, um, you know, having a... The different channels and being able to push things out to, to a public beta 
uh, it's a far preferable system to test flight. It's much more usable for like your average person. Um, and so I think that's, that's really nice to have that. And you can actually, you know, and I have been using the beta channels to, to test things out and get feedback really quickly from real users. So that's been really nice. So you're, you're using a, like a side loaded app as your beta, not does the play store even have a, a sort of beta channel? Yeah, so it's got this public beta. So if you turn it on um, just from uh, from the Play Store listing, you can actually choose to opt into the beta and then you can be a part of that channel. Oh, interesting. Okay, so this is after a release has been made. There's like a, a user accessible public beta that you don't have to sort of provide the links for yourself. Yep, exactly right, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't know that was a thing. That's cool. And then I assume the um, aforementioned Revenue Cat made bringing over all of your uh, uh, subscription stuff relatively, uh, I don't want to say painless, but less painful than it could have been? Yeah, I mean, honestly, Revenue Cat was key to being able to to have the one pro purchase on one device. We'll unlock it on, on every device. So, you know, there's a surprising number of users who will intermix, like, um, you know, Generally, like, you know, they're not going to have an iPhone and an Android device, but they'll have an iPad and Android. They'll use the Mac app and Android. Um, or the extension, et cetera. Um, and so it was important to me to not make that uh, any more confusing than it needed to be for users. Yeah. And to have one purchase, one purchase unlock it everywhere. Um, and without Revenue Cat, that would have been a real nightmare, I think. So it's nice that I've tied everything to, to the same entitlement. So if you purchase it in one spot, you've got it everywhere. It also enables me to do Stripe checkout. Um, so as things kind of evolve with uh, the whole Apple situation and in-app purchases, um, <laughs> It's nice that A, I'm kind of prepared for that, um, but it also gives me the flexibility to be able to offer discounts on things, um, to be able to just, you know, control things better for users. Uh, it's something that I can't do. And there are very different rules between the App Store and the Play Store mm. for like, uh, even just like for promos, it's a completely different system and there's no like great way to do that. And so being able to do that directly with direct entitlements and strap checkout um, is, a, is a big game changer in that regard. I feel like anytime Revenue Cat gets brought up in a discussion, even in, in real life, uh, it feels like it just turns into a Revenue Cat ad by whoever it is that uh, is talking <laughs> about it. I feel like I feel like right now they, there's a lot of like a, a brand equity, I guess. Uh, feels like they're doing things to make developers very happy. Uh, that seems to be the consistent refrain I'm hearing. Yeah, for sure. And uh, hey, I mean, they're even hiring. Uh, I know Josh Holtz uh, joined them recently. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're slowly acquiring people uh, from launch. So it's, uh, it's great to see too. Um, but, I mean, honestly, people from launch. It, it's, it, it's been great. I mean, you know, there've been a few little hiccups uh, here and there. There's a um, once in a while, if someone uses a VPN, uh, they can't connect to, to, to Revenue Cat's API. There was a little thing with PyHole and AdGuard uh, last month or two months ago. Um, that caused a few little issues, but um, other than that, I mean, overall, it, it's definitely made things a, a lot easier. So I'm happy to have gone with them. And frankly, it's not much money for the hours that they've saved and the stress. So happy for that. Awesome. All right. Well, um, I think it's probably about time we we start wrapping up. Um, and I want to make sure I get that that question that I ask everybody here at the end. So, uh, what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people check out? Yeah, so um, looking at the the list and listening to the past launched, I mean, you've covered a lot of people. Um, like I mentioned before, Curtis Herbert was was huge uh, to me as is Christian Selig for just um, for being open, um, for letting people know that indie is like is a profitable way to do app development. Um, you know, I don't like having seen like how much revenue like Curtis can generate and he's the fact that he shares those kinds of numbers um, is really inspiring. So that gave me the confidence, you know, to, to kind of go down the, uh, the subscription route um, and just knowing that, you know, we don't have to hire like other people to help out. We can actually make a big difference just as solo folks. So that was uh, really impactful. Um, as far as other developers, uh, I didn't see uh, Yordi on that list. Uh, Yordi Bruin is just, he's an awesome person. Um, he makes apps that, help people, which I love. Um, he's got this app, Susie, to help people who have um, uh, allergies. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't then, recognize the name, but I know exactly who you're talking about now. 
Yeah, so we, we've been talking more and more, um, like FaceTiming after he released uh, his app Navi, um, which is a really cool implementation for SharePlay. Um, so we were testing that out. So I started FaceTiming with him and he's just, yeah, an awesome, one of those awesome good humans who's also can churn out apps like nobody's business. He's just so quick. I don't know how people do that. Um, <laughs> but he can just, yeah, he can just build like a great new app in no time. Um, he's great at design as well. Um, and just, yeah, one of those good people who makes good apps for folks. So, uh, yeah, it's great to see that. I don't know how people do that. You're saying as a person who went from literally zero Android experience to an Android app in the store in one month, I'd I'd say, uh, you know, at least to some degree how to turn something out quickly. <laughs> I still feel like Jordy's on another level. Okay. Uh, if, if, if Jordy would have done that, he would have been done like in a week. So yeah, I don't know. There's no comparison. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And yeah, I'll have these people linked in the in the show notes. Uh definitely. All right. Well, um I think that about covers it unless there's unless there's something else you want to make sure uh you know people hear. Yeah, I'm trying to think um it was weird, like, I, I was kind of, like, researching, like, my life like, before <laughs> to prepare for this. I'm like, okay, I got to think, through, like, I don't know, like, what years, like, things happen. So, like, I was, like, Googling things. I'm like, okay, that's when I moved back to the States. And it's interesting to, like, kind of piece back my life. But um, no, I think we covered everything. Yeah, I mean, you're really good at just kind of digging through and, like, keeping people on track. Sorry if I diverged a bit. I'm sure that'll make your editing life a little bit more complicated. I mean, I diverge. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually my problem is I get, uh, I hear a little tidbit that's not really relevant and I can't help but dig into that. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of of people re- researching their own lives um, in preparation for a podcast. Um, awesome. Well, uh, where can people find you and card pointers or any other work that you do? Yeah. Um, so I generally go by the name mcrow uh, on Twitter and, uh, and lots of other places for company specific stuff. Uh, I've got card pointers pretty much everywhere. Bought the uh, cardpointers.com domain name last year, which is a, a nice little rate of passage. I dropped, <laughs> uh, get card pointers. Um, and uh, yeah, so card pointers, uh, app store, play store, uh, just launched a new website with uh, Tailwind. Thank you, Jordan Morgan for that recommendation. Um, oh, I was, yeah, I was going to comment on that. Your website looks really good. Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear because I, I hated the old one. So, um, yeah, as I, I'm, I'm going more and more into web development and, and SEO work again, um, kind of branching out with that with a lot of the data that I have. Um, so I wanted something I didn't hate using every day. And so <laughs> now we're at that point with, uh, with things to tailwind. So yeah, I'm happy about that. That's awesome. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. Hey, 